welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. the powerful message that was in them, and I wanted to take some time as a church today, just focus our hearts and focus our minds on the power of praise of what Jude does. Now, Jude ends his book in what we call a doxology. A doxology is just a simple form of spoken or sung or written praise. And so, after all that he's talked to us about, uh, about uh, contending for the faith, looking for false teachers, he chooses to end with just a moment of praising and recognizing who God is. So, what we're going to do today, many church traditions do this, what we're going to do today for just one time is we're going to say this praise together here in just a second. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to say it together, we're going to say it loudly. And And while we do that, what I want you to do is I want you to just focus on the words and I want you to just ask uh, God to lay something on your heart because here in a second we're going to pray together. Does everybody understand? Okay, very good. So if you guys would stand with me, please. We're going to pull it up on the screens. We're going to try to cadence this out a little bit. So, So say it with me as Jude praises God. Let's say it together. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. We're going to have our prayer time this morning. Today you only have one prompt. I'm just going to ask you to take part of those verses and just pray that as praise this morning, if you would. Father in heaven, God, we we gather here this morning as your church, God, as as your children, as your believers, God, we gather to glorify you. God, this morning we just want to praise you for who you are, God, that you are a God who can keep us from stumbling, and God, that you offer us the opportunity to be presented faultless before the presence of your glory. God, thank you that in all of my shame and all of my sin and all of my dirtiness and brokenness, God, that you pursued me to make me one of yours. God, as we we continue here, God, I just pray that you'll open our hearts to your glory and your majesty. God, that you'll teach us from your word. God, I pray for, for our hearts to be open. God, if there's anybody here who doesn't know you and know what it means to be your child, God, I pray today is the day that you speak to their heart, that you give them the faith and you give them the confidence to step forward and accept you. Lord, we love you with all of our heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this praise of Jude that he ends the book with balances the heaviness of the message that he said before this. Up to this point, it's been a pretty heavy book. Like, like, hey, God is doing some great things, but Satan is sending false teachers into your midst to try to lead you away from the truth. And Jude turns that and he balances that with this concept of let's praise God in the midst of this. What this tells me is that no matter the circumstances, we can praise God. Everybody say amen. Amen. 
Here Jude is talking about this huge danger to the church, that there are people coming in, leading followers of Christ astray, pulling people away from the true gospel, and yet Jude still says that God has the power to keep us from stumbling, that God has the power to present us blameless before the presence of his glory. That means in today's world, whether it's political mess, whether it's wars or natural disasters, whether it's family trauma, in the midst of hardship, we can pause to focus on who God is and we can declare his praise. If you take... If you're doing your take-home truths, your number one take-home truth is we remember our God, who our God is in every circumstance. So this doxology begins to declare praise, and it begins to declare praise, not just a sense of things are going great, everything's wonderful. Jude declares praise specifically to God. And and I love the way that he puts this. Specifically, he says, to God our Savior who alone is wise, God for you, let there be glory and majesty and dominion and power forever. Now, as we read that, when we praise and we we speak of God and we say glory to God and and worship his majesty, there's this temptation in the way that that's worded to think that Jude, to some degree, has the power to give those things to God. That that Jude, in some way, has the power to, to give God glory, majesty, dominion, and power. But what we see is that those things belong to God already. Glory and majesty belong to God. There's nothing you and I are ever going to do to give God more glory or to give him more majesty. The entire universe screams of his glory. Uh, listen to what Psalm, uh, Psalm 19 verse 1 says. It says the heavens declare the glory of God. That means that when we walk outside on a summer night and we look up in the sky and we see those stars, which we now know are not just specks in the sky. When we look up and we see those stars and we know that they are planets and galaxies and suns that we can't even imagine, those things, the vastness of outer space was put there by the creator for one purpose and one purpose only, to declare how great he is. This God who, who can create a universe so vast we can't even understand it and we get to behold his handiwork and say that is God that is what God has created that is who he is he is that great in Revelation chapter 4, it gives us one of just a few, um, a few descriptions of God on his throne in the entire Bible. In Revelation chapter 4, John is drawn up into heaven and he sees God the Father sitting on the throne. And what he sees around God is four angels. And these are like the most terrifying angels that, that you could ever think of. One of them looks like a lion. One of them looks like a man. One of them looks like an eagle. One of them looks like an ox. And on their wings, all six of their wings, all of their wings just have multitudes of eyes. And these four angels have one purpose in existence and one purpose only. They fly around the throne of God and they sing to God, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. For thousands of years, that's all they do is they declare the glory of God. God does not need us to give him anything. The glory and the majesty are already his. If you look at us, it's like, what do we have to offer God? Like, like we get really excited if somebody compliments our hair. Hair looks good today. Did you get a haircut? Yes, I did. I sure did. Like, that's the most glory that we're going to get in any given day. Yet God has beings in an entire universe that were created for no other purpose than to say, our God is great. That's who our God is. So so Jude can't give glory and majesty to God because God already has glory and majesty. They're already his. Power and dominion, those things are his too. God has the ultimate power and the ultimate right to rule over everything created. Why? Because he created it. Listen, when you take nothing and you create it into something, 
You also create for yourself the right to rule over those things. You create for yourself the, the right to, to determine how they go. When we were younger, we used to sing a song. You guys remember the song? Um, he's got the whole world in his hands. You guys thought the specials were over. I've got one too this morning, right? Like, like our God, I love that it's a children's song, but it's true. The entire universe, the entire world is in his hands and responds to his voice. We saw this with Jesus Christ when he came here in human form. He's out in the boat in the ocean and there's a storm blows up and the wind and waves knew who he was. Listen, the entirety of the universe continues to work because of who God is. That means the stars shine for no other reason than God said they should. The laws of gravity continue to work every single time because God maintains it that way. The seasons change, the wind and the rain blow. Why? Because all of creation responds to his will and he created, that, created, it, created it that way. There's only one thing in this entirety of creation that does not respond immediately to God. It's you and me. Out of everything God created, if he tells the world to spin, the world spins. If he tells the stars to shine, they shine. The only thing that balks up against God, that turns their back on him, would be us. Well, I guess technically too, us and the, the angels who left their place. But it's only us. You and me live outside of his will, but we only live outside of his will temporarily because one day, one day, he will turn it all around. Your second take-home truth is glory, majesty, power, and dominion all belong to him, to him. So if that's the case, if glory, majesty, power, and dominion all belong to God, why is it that Jude sits here and declares these things to him? Like, Jude, you can't give these things to God. That's like after church, if I walked outside with you, and I was coming with you, and I walked out to the car with you, and it's like, you know, I really like you. You're my favorite church person. I love you so much, I wanted to give you this car. And you're like, that car's, that car's already mine. <laughs> like, I've got the keys here. I paid for it. You can't give me what is already mine. And in the same way, we cannot give to God the things that are already his. But what we can do is we can acknowledge that those things belong to him. We can acknowledge that God deserves majesty and glory. We can acknowledge that he deserves power and dominion. As a matter of fact, that's what praise is. That's what worship is. Listen, praise is not just singing along to the song that you heard on the radio that you liked. Worship is not just singing the song that you sang when you grew up. Worship is when we in our hearts declare his majesty because we recognize who he is. Worship is when we look at God and say, you deserve these things, not me. And if we're honest, that is harder than we think. Because if we're honest, we don't want God to have power and majesty and glory and dominion because we want those things for ourselves. I want glory. I want power. I want majesty. I want the attention. I want all the things that comes with, with being God. That's what human nature is. Our human nature tells us to steal the things that ultimately belong to God and take them for ourselves. If you don't believe me, just, just look at the world. Look at the Bible in Genesis 3. What did Satan tempt Adam and Eve with? He didn't tempt them with, oh, the fruit looks really good, it'll probably taste good. He said, oh, if you eat the fruit, you will be like God, knowing good from evil. You will have the power. You will have the dominion. Glory and majesty, we want that too. You ever seen those giant pyramids in Egypt? You know what those are built for? Those were built 
for some king thousands of years ago that looked at his life and said, I'm going to die and I don't want people to forget how great I was. So I'm going to create something that people will remember me forever that will speak of my glory. Let's bring it contemporary. What's the purpose of all social media? Look at how pretty I am. I take the best picture of myself so that you'll think I'm attractive. I take the best picture of my family so you'll think that we have it all together and we're happy even though we're fighting and scrapping and we can't control the kids and all of that. And I put it on social media and I say, look at me. Give me glory. Look at how great I am. See, deep within us, deep within us, we want what belongs to God. So I want to ask you to ask yourself this question. I want you to ask yourself, do I see that in myself? Do I see in myself a want for God's glory, a want for majesty, a want for power? And there's really probably two ways that you could answer that. Of course, you could say, of course I see that in myself. But you might say, no, I don't see that in myself. And there's two reasons why you might say no. Number one is you're perfect. And listen to me, I'm not, I'm not being rude. I love you, but if you're perfect, you probably don't need to be here. This is not a place for perfect people. If you're perfect, please don't be here because the rest of us are going to mess you up because everybody else came here and we're declaring, I am so broken, I am so messed up that there is nothing in this world that's going to fix me. Only God can fix me. That's what the rest of us are doing here. Probably a whole lot more likely than you being perfect is this, is that when you look in the mirror, you don't look very closely. You, you don't truly assess yourself and say, what is my human nature? You don't truly compare yourself to the perfection of God and you don't confront the sin nature that belongs in all of us. And here's the key to Jude's praise is when he looks in the mirror, he sees those things and he rejects them. He rejects the fact that he deserves power. Or let me take that back, the opinion that he deserves power. He rejects the want for majesty and dominion and glory. And suddenly we see a change in the person of Jude. Jude, who, by the way, when Jesus was growing up in the same household with him, refused to admit that Jesus was anything special. Jude now looks at Jesus and now looks at God. He says, you know what? Uh, not my majesty. I, I, desire, I desire the majesty of God. Not my glory. I desire the glory of God. I don't want the power of God. The glory, the, my desire is the glory is yours. I don't want dominion. God, my desire is that you have dominion. And he changes and he fights human nature. And he's declaring with his heart, I don't choose me. I choose God. See, what we see in Jude is he desires to be a part of a creation that screams of God's glory. Something has changed in Jude from a normal person. Why, why would you do this? Like, what, what could possibly change us? What can make us tackle human nature? What in the world could be more important than, more important than me? The answer Jude would give us is God. Not a God who exists. Not a God who, who we think, think acts a certain way. But for Jude, what he sees is a God that is present a God that is knowable, a God who pursues us, who picks, up, who picks up the broken me and begins to restore me for no other reason than his love. This is the God that Jude can praise. And he gives us this description in verse 24. Read with me verse 24 again. It says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Your third take-home truth, number 3.A, is we praise a God who, point A, who keeps us from stumbling. 
Let's put this in the context of the book. Jude has been talking very diligently about false teachers coming in to congregations and to the midst of Christians, putting out and teaching some kind of a false gospel and pulling people who either would be believers in Christ or believers of Christ, pulling them away from the gospel. That's what Jude has been talking about and warning us about. And then he immediately, immediately turns from the tools that we have to contend for that faith. And he says, we worship a God that keeps us from stumbling. We worship a God who upholds us. We worship a God who does all of the work. We worship a God who is working constantly to preserve you and me, who keeps us from diving into false teaching. Ultimately, he upholds us. Ultimately, he's the one who keeps us from sin. And ultimately, he is the one who keeps you his. I love the way I heard uh, Alistair Begg put this not very long ago. He, he says, uh, we worship a God who is able to keep you kept. That's what we do here. We worship a God who is able to keep us kept, who does all of the work. The weight is off me, the pressure is on him, and to him the pressure is not at all. So it's no wonder that we can praise him. It's no wonder that we can worship him because he is a God who saves us and a God who keeps us saved. Uh, Jesus said famously that we've said many times, he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And we say that a lot, like, hey, you know, follow Jesus. What, what's he talking about there? What he's talking about is salvation. Take salvation upon yourself. It's an easy burden. It's very light. Why does, why does Jesus put it that way? Uh, think of the imagery for this. If you've been in church any time at all, you've probably heard this before. Uh, a yoke is like a harness that you put on, usually an ox, maybe a horse or a mule. And the concept of that is you take that yoke and you put it on a beast of burden and you chain them to a wagon or you chain them to something heavy and then they pull the burden. And Jesus says to you and me, take my yoke. It's easy. My burden is light. And so think of the imagery of that. Think of, think of having this thing put on you and you're expecting it to be this huge weight and immediately as soon as it's done, you start to pull. And as you begin to pull, you realize this is, this is nothing. I'm not pulling anything. This is easy. This is light. There's nothing there. And you look behind you and what you see is the reason that the burden is so light is because while you are harnessed to the wagon, Jesus is coming behind you and he's doing all of the work. That's what our salvation is. Our salvation is our creator and our God taking upon himself the responsibility to save you and me, to keep us saved. See, Jesus, or we are saved, our salvation is ours, not because of anything that we do, but because he gave us our salvation and because he keeps giving us our salvation. Point B is we praise a God whose presence we can enter with joy. Isn't that amazing? We talk about this God, the creator, and one day, one day, we will stand in his presence. Well, one day, we will be with him. One day, we will see him face to face the way that he is described in the Bible. And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're a believer in Christ or if you're not a believer in Christ. It doesn't matter if you go to church or if you don't go to church. It doesn't matter if you rejected him this life or you accepted him. One day, we will stand before him. And this is what we'll see. In Isaiah 6, he records seeing the throne of God. Isaiah says this. This is what it looks like. He says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, that's angels, 
Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. Now look at how Isaiah responds to that. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. See, one day we will see what Isaiah describes here. One day we will stand before a throne that angels fly around and they scream the praises of God. One day we will see him face to face. And in that moment, here's what you will do. You will take a knee and you will immediately say, this is God. This is the great I am. This is Yahweh. This is the creator. And it doesn't matter if you believed in him in this life or not. That is what you will see. That is what you will experience. And that is what you will do. Because the Bible says that every person will kneel and every tongue confess in front of God. What? What a horrible thing. It's not what you expected me to say, but it's what I meant to say. What a horrible thing that you and me will stand before a living and a perfect and a holy God. Think about what that means for just a second. That means that when we walk into his presence, the division will be clear. Our brokenness will be conflicted with his glory. We will be contrasted our sinfulness with his perfection. Our significance will be compared, or his significance will be compared to our insignificance. His right to rule will be compared to our disobedience. We will come face to face with him this way, and there will be nowhere to hide. Uh, let me be delicate with this next story. Uh, when I was in high school, I had a friend who got his, his first girlfriend, and, and as a lot of people in high school do, they, they began a physical relationship. That's as deep as I'll go into that. And because they were young and dumb, this was in the early 2000s, we didn't have like Snapchat or anything like that. We wrote notes to our girlfriends and boyfriends. And he had written his girlfriend some notes and they were uh, very detailed about their physical connection. And because she was a teenage girl, she kept those notes hidden in a box under her bed until one day her mom found them and read word by word detail accounts of their physical relationship. Suddenly, my buddy and his girlfriend were confronted with the authority of an apparent, with undeniable proof of what had been going on, with nowhere to hide and nothing to do but hang your head and acknowledge that you were caught. Now, if you can grasp the shame of that moment just a little bit and multiply it by roughly a hundred trillion you will get a taste of what it will be like to walk into the perfect presence of God with the weight of your sin on you. There will be nothing to do but hang your head and acknowledge that you're caught. It's like this. Imagine, imagine that you died and you were confronted or you were about to go be confronted by God. And so you enter heaven and, and this isn't what the Bible says of heaven, but just for this illustration, just imagine heaven was like a crowded, poorly run doctor's office and the angels are going everywhere and the phones are going off and the angels are all like, hey, uh, Brian's here early. Can we get an early appointment for Brian? Apparently he shouldn't have back talked to his wife that last time. 
And they're, they're not expecting you and you come in and like, okay, five minutes, you're gonna go into the presence of God and you can see these two doors in front of you and just captivated by these doors. And on the other side of the doors, you can hear singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And you can see light streaming all around and through the doors and the angel's telling you three minutes and you're about to go in. And if somebody else goes in, just this blinding light comes out of the doors and you can just hear the praise of heaven and of him who sits on the throne in there. And suddenly you look down and you realize that while you were captivated by those doors, the angels have dressed you and they've put on you a new shirt. And on the shirt... Is written every sin that you ever committed. Everything you ever did. Every single time that you were late for work but you told your boss you were on time, written on your clothes. Every time you lost your temper and said something to somebody you loved you shouldn't have, written on you. A detailed account of every lie and every lost, lustful thought you've ever been, to, been through. A record of every time you failed as a parent or as a spouse. A detailed transcript of every word you said when you cut somebody down behind their back with your words. A list of all the prideful thoughts you had and all the things that you coveted. The names of all the people you hated. A detailed account of every time you were drunk and what you drunk those nights. Every time you disobeyed or rejected authority. Every time you ripped somebody off in the amounts. Every time you ignored someone's need. Every person that you refused to forgive. Every time you trusted in something besides God written on you. Every single sin. And you look down at yourself and you realize, this is the real me. This is not the me I pretended to be at church when I had my mask on and I pretended to be really good. It's not the me I pretended to be at work. It's not the me I projected to my kids. This is the real me. The me that I have hidden from everybody I have ever known. The me that I didn't want people to see. And suddenly those angels start to grab you and push you towards the door. And they say, it's your time to go in the presence of God. And you realize the real dirty me and every secret and every sin I have is written on me until I'm completely turned black with sin. And the angels begin to push you into the presence of God. Wouldn't that be horrible? Wouldn't that be horrible if that was the plan? But Jude doesn't see it that way. He, he doesn't see us walking in with our, our sins written all over us. Jude says we're able to go into his presence, the presence of his glory, with exceeding joy. And this is where it's different for a believer in Jesus Christ. We don't walk into the presence of God with this on. We don't walk into the presence of God dirty like this. Because right as we get in that door and we're struggling and we're screaming and saying, I don't want to go in and see a perfect God with all of these things written on me. Suddenly the doors open and Jesus Christ walks towards us. And he looks at us and he goes, no, 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 no. No, no, no. Angels, take that shirt off. And, and as you're confused by what the angels are doing, you look up and what you see is Jesus taking his shirt off that's completely white and completely perfect. No blemish, no stain, no sin. And Jesus puts it on you. And he says, now you can walk into the presence of the glory of God. Isn't that amazing? 
That's what your salvation is. When we talk about salvation, salvation is not just, I went to church and I said some words and I started going to church every Sunday. Salvation is when God takes our dirtiness and our fault off of us. And he places on us his righteousness so that we can be presented before the presence of his glory without fault. Not because of who we are, but because of the perfection and the brilliance and the wonder of Jesus Christ that he chooses to give to us. Everybody say amen. This is, this is what we get to see. Point C on your take-home truths is we praise a God who presents us faultless in his presence. Listen, the work is not yours to do. The work was Jesus Christ's work. What he did is he swapped with us. He gave us his perfection so that he could take our dirt on himself. And for that reason, he went to the cross. That's why we worship here. We don't worship because of a story told. We worship because one day, Jesus Christ put on my filth and my shame, and he gave his life on a cross to pay my sin debt, to pay for what I did, to pay for the things that I should have paid for so that I could stand in his presence with this on, with perfection. Glenita, if you want to start coming up here. Today, I'm going to tell you, I believe with all my heart, and I believe the scripture teaches us, there's two kinds of people in this room. Some of you, if you were to die in this exact moment, you would walk into the presence of God with this. And by the way, let me, let me be clear. There are no angels in heaven with Sharpies riding on shirts, all the things that you did. There's no, no list of things being kept that's going to be put on you bodily. There's no doors that I know of that you walk in and the angels usher you into. That's just an illustration. But listen, your sin will stand out more in the presence of glory than it would if it was written on your shirt. And some of you are headed that direction now. Going into the presence of God. Going to where he is at with this filth and this dirtiness on you. You can have Jesus' righteousness. He's already done the work for you. And he offers it to you for nothing. If you'll just place your faith in him. If you'll ask him for it, you can have it. Now, if you're like me and you're sitting here and I know when I get there, I get to walk in in Jesus's righteousness because he's already given it to me and I've received me, received it. If that's you, I would just encourage you to take this moment to praise. We're not even gonna sing during our reflection time. I just want you to pray and praise God for that. But if you're here today and you can't say with ultimate certainty, I know I've accepted Jesus Christ and I know I can walk into the presence of God with exceeding joy, I'm gonna invite you to come forward because today is the day of salvation. Today is the day all of that can be changed. Would you stand with me and just pray and praise God? I'm standing here and I'm waiting on you. I'm gonna ask you to come forward if you need to receive him as savior. Today is the day to do that.